live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho. Duro, Parlay, Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And to those of you who are listening on the western coast of the state of Florida in the United States, I hope you are safe. Absolutely. Doing well, because holy shit, the video is coming out of Florida. Everybody, please stay safe if you're down in the south hemisphere of the United States right now because that situation is looking absolutely wild. Yeah. Safety first above all else. So, I mean, our thoughts and energies are with you guys right now. So, please, please, please be careful. I know we got a lot of listeners down there. So, on behalf of the entire team, I can't stress this enough. Stay safe. Be smart. Absolutely. That said... We're going to try making this the best show you can here, talking some entertainment topics because we'd like to talk movies, TV, comics, and more with you. And we definitely like to keep the conversation rolling after the podcast. So make sure to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join the conversation on the social media accounts. They're all right there on the front page. Parlay points. New blogs are up right now. Oh, my gosh. I think my hand is hurting from all the typing. Pat, how many providers are we on? Uh, 928,000. And you can find all of them on the directory which is right there in the front link. Same thing with the classifieds, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, Organizational Link Support and Black Lives Matter, Voter Registration. And if it's anything and everything that is the ODPH, it can be found at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on the socials to use the hashtag ODPHpod. But kicking off this very, very special edition of the ODPH, we have to recap a show that, I'll be honest, is generating a lot of polarizing feelings. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly the home run people thought it was per se, but it's not exactly the worst thing ever. No. In our opinions, but we have to talk with a lot of the ODPH Society on our social media accounts at ODPH Podcast on Twitter and most other handles. We're hearing a lot of fans are kind of on the fence about this show. Yeah. And obviously coming in with a lot of hype due to what it's uh, connected to, it's a little surprising to see that response, but here we are because this past week, debuting on Disney Plus, mm-hmm. is the latest addition to the Star Wars universe, the brand new show, Andor, which is the prequel to Rogue One. Yep. And obviously, we've seen a lot of previews for this right now. Uh, the hype has been here. Diego Luna is returning into his role as casting Andor, and this is the story of how we get to Rogue One. So... Obviously, with how that fan or film was reacted to by the fans. Oh, yeah. Like I say, it almost feels like a fan film because everybody talks about the Vader scene at the end. Mm-hmm. It's now seeing how this story all unfolds. And we had the first three episodes of debut last week. We just had a brand new episode debut this Wednesday. We are going to be breaking it down. But if you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thank you for listening. We appreciate you giving us your time. Secondly... What we'd like to do is give a spoiler-free statement so we don't ruin anything for you. After that, we give you a countdown if you need to duck out because you haven't seen anything, heard anything. We don't want to ruin anything for you. That's why we want to make sure it's very specific. If you have seen the episodes and you want to stay for the discussion, perfect. If you need to duck out and then jump back in, we timestamp it in the episode liner notes so you don't miss a thing. 
That said, Pad, spoiler-free statement on Star Wars Andor thus far. Andor is easily in my top five Star Wars movies of all time. Not sure if I'd put it top three. I'd have to really sit down and think about the it. Rogue One, you mean? Or, yeah, Rogue One. Uh, you know, is it's it's easily in my top five Star Wars movies of all time. Might be in my top three. I'd have to sit down, write everything out, and really sit and think about it, and I haven't done that in a while. You know, so when they announced this series, I was kind of like, okay, you know, I'm all for it. You know, I love the movie. I love Diego Luna and everything he did as Cassian Andor with that movie. But like we've said before, prequels are hard to do, especially when they take place in a point in time where you have to get to a certain place, you mm-hmm. know, and with this show taking place five years before the events of uh, Rogue One, that kind of paints it in, in the same picture that, you know, the prequels were in, you know, obviously a little more time difference, but still you had certain characters that had to get to certain places and, and certain events had to happen, you know, but I was still on board with what I saw and I, and I like the trails and all that. And, and I got to say, you know. I feel like they had to drop the first three episodes for this. Now, I think they were initially going to do just the one. And then I know that the release date moved a couple of times because mm-hmm. of whatever reason it was. Reasons. We, re, literal reasons. We never heard any specific reasons why, you know, but the, the release date moved a couple of times. So like as a, as a little, you know, hey, sorry for moving the release date on you. We're going to give you another episode. We're going to give you two episodes. And then they had to move it again. And we're like, hey, we're going to give you three episodes. I feel like while three episodes was a lot, to give it the start, I feel like you almost had to because were it not for the three episodes getting dropped at once, I think the the response to the show would have been, I don't want to say overwhelmingly negative, mm-hmm. but more negative than it has been. You know, it's been probably an even 50-50 split, maybe skewing a little more negative than positive. It's hard to say, you know, but for me, you know, it took a while for me to get into this. You know, as big a Star Wars fan as I am, you know, reading the comics, reading the books, you know, audiobooks, the games and the movies and the TV shows and rewatches and all this, you know, I've consumed a lot of Star Wars media over the years. You know, this took a while for me to really get latched on into where I'm like, all right, I'm in. I'm I'm here for this. It really wasn't until the towards the end of the latter third of episode three where I finally went okay, we're here, you know, and, and obviously I liked episode four a lot. So I feel like them dropping the first three episodes, they had to do it. I thought this started very slow. I honestly had agents of shield season one vibes. Yeah. To be honest, the first two episodes, I really thought they were trying to give too much of a backstory and really try too hard to make Andor endearing. But I thought, like you said, and I agree with you on this statement, I think once Stellan Skarsgård came in Mm -hmm. at the end, latter half of episode three, I thought, finally, this show is going somewhere, a la when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season one got to the Captain America Winter Soldier episode. And then we're going in the right direction after that. But I think it's a very slow start. It's almost a snooze fest, to be honest with you. Mm Mm-hmm. But it does pick up. So, I mean, you have to be very patient with the show. I do like the acting thus far. I mm-hmm. will say yeah. Diego Luna, I think, is doing a great job. Yeah. I just really didn't like how he was written in the first ep- first two episodes. I thought that they were just dancing around too much Yeah, from where they needed to go. Because I think you could cut that out. I, like, I hate using the word filter, but or filler, but I think we're there. It, it really felt, a lot of it felt like filler, which, I mean, okay, you want to explain the backstory of the character and explain how he got there. Do it for an episode. Do it for a portion of the episode. 
you know, I I hate how a lot of these shows are doing time jumps now where it's past, then we cut to present, then we come back to past, then we come back to present. Just do it all at once and get it done and over with. I'm tired of having to keep track in my head of what's going on where, what's going on when, keeping the timeline straight. Just show it to me all at once and then reference it later. Yeah. Keep it simple. I fully agree with you on that, Pad. So that said, in three, two, one, let's deep dive, shall we? What did you think? Like I said, I you know it took a while for me to get into this, but it really started off. I agree with you, slow, you know. And and while I do appreciate a good backstory, I felt like they dwelled on it for way too long. You know, I'm sure somebody online has probably added up the total number of minutes they spent in flashback sequences for the first three episodes. I would argue it was probably 10, 15 minutes too long. You should you should have cut it down and gotten rid of some of the stuff, you know. And it wasn't even. Like with some flashbacks where like it ties into what's going on on the screen. I Some of it, yes, that was the case. But there were a lot of instances I'm like, where does this, why are we showing this? Why, why is this happening? You know, but once it really got going and once, you know, Skarsgård showed up on screen, I'm like, okay, now we're here. Mm-hmm. I fully agree because like how this show kicks off, we're five years before the infamous battle at Yarvin. At Yavin, yeah. It was a and fun little thing they brought in from the old canon. That was how they used to mark when all the books took place in the old canon. Mm. Was, you know, kind of like BC, AD, kind of like in, in our world. It's before the Battle of Yavin, so BBY, and then after the Battle of Yavin, ABY, which is the first time since Disney's owned the property that they've used that. So that was a little fun thing for the uh, old canon fans. Yeah, it was a cool way to kind of do the introduction. Like I say, when they started off, it was like, okay, we're here. And then you start going into Andor's search for his sister. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's traveling through the different uh, solar systems, so to speak. He winds up on the planet of uh, Morlana 1. Mm-hmm. And as he's going through the establishments on there... He does get a pretty much threatened to be robbed yeah. by security guys. Yeah, yeah, because while the Empire likes to think it's got an iron hold grip on the, on the galaxy, there are still some pockets in the galaxy that are uh, less than savory. Yeah, so this kind of plays into the Star Wars background a little bit. Like, I thought this was starting to have a little feel like it. But during this whole kerfluffle, can mm-hmm. I use that word? Sure. I thought that they really were trying to give him more of like a, a sympathetic tone here because during the kerfluffle, he winds up accidentally killing one of the robbers. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is begging for his life. Mm-hmm. And he just goes straight up Frank Castle and just shoots him. Yeah. Which is like, okay, a little confusing what we're trying to do here, but... I think they're trying to really establish him as, like, a, a true threat, so to speak. Well, and I think it's just trying to show that, like, hey, well, yes, this is a prequel. We're not going so far back in the story that, like, he's a total novice. Mm-hmm. That, like, he's got no edge to him. He really doesn't, like, kill. You know how, like, they show in movies sometimes where, like, at the start of the movie, you've got the main character who really doesn't like killing people and doesn't want to get involved in the fight and would rather talk it out. You know, but by the end of the movie, they're like John fucking Wick. Yeah. You know, they didn't want to necessarily go that route. I think that that whole sequence with, you know, the the attempted robbery was just showing, hey, this is Cassian Andor that, you know, although he's not quite there yet, but he's not a total idiot. Right. So after this, he's got to go plane hop to another planet. Mm-hmm. Now he's got a warrant out for his arrest. He winds up on Ferrix. Yep. So this is where he's trying to basically lay low. And has to go find his adopted mother, Marva, mm-hmm. and her droid. Yep. Uh, B2EMO. Yes. B2EMO. So oh, Wait, I just realized what that is. B2EMO. <laughs> yeah. 
the wordplay here is just, I mean, it's Star Wars to the letter. It is. What, yeah. what else can you say about that? But as he's sitting there just trying to cover, he is basically entangled in in another search, shall we say. Yeah. Because at this point, he's now got to lay low. He's going to have to find liquidation. Mm-hmm. He starts dealing with a lot of the black markets, uh, <laughs> shopping places, sure. shall we say. Sure. Because obviously he now has something that people are going to be looking for, and that is a Starpath unit. Now, you want to break this down for us? Yeah, so reading off of the Star Wars wiki page, starwars.fandom.com, it says the NS-9 Starpath unit was an expensive and untraceable box-shaped piece of Imperial technology that could track every Imperial coordinate for nine radial parsecs. Yes. So basically, it's an Imperial tracking device. Yeah, so obviously, he's got a hot property that might help him do some escaping Albeit, though, while this is all going on at Morlana 1, well, everybody is kind of coming by to say, okay, how did two of our guards get killed? Mm-hmm. And, and you've got, like, the the uh, upper echelon of the management, I guess you could say. It was like, eh, hey, listen, shit happens. Just file a report, put whatever you want, and call it over and done with. But then you got, you know, the deputy. Uh, I think he's called the deputy inspector, which, God, this guy's got a punchable face. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Serial <laughs> Karn, who's played by Kyle Soler. Punchable face. Oh, my God, yeah. like Punchable a, face. He is, like, <laughs> trying to be so noble about solving this case. Do everything by the book, everything by the ladder. He's, like, the guy at work that, like, inevitably when you start at a job, you might do things, in like, every way they should. But then, like, you ultimately find easier ways to do it or ways to cut corners. Nah, this dude's, like, 15 years in. He's still doing everything by the letter, even if it takes him nine more steps than it probably should. He had Dwight Schrute vibes. Oh, my God, yeah, he does. Like, <laughs> That's the easiest way to take it. Like, okay, he's Dwight Schrute. Yeah, we're watching the the Star Wars version of Dwight Schrute because he's determined to track it down. Yeah, he's now ready to go to Ferrix because he's got a he's got a tip, and it's like it's my duty. Yeah, like it's it's so crazy. So this is where the story kind of just ends for Episode One. And like I say, they do throw in a couple flashback sequences about how the younger Cassin finds the crash ship that mm-hmm. you've seen in all the trailers. Yep. And I just offered like this entire episode it was just kind of like okay we're trying to really build up too much but you had you didn't really hit the ground running per no. se you, you like you gave a little sprinkle earlier to show how much of a badass you, it, he was it's like if you were running a track meet you're like stretching your legs before you're even in the starting blocks mm-hmm. you're you're not like and you're not the gun hasn't even gone off you're not even running down the track you know you're just stretching your legs yeah so now that is how episode one ends which is fine yeah it, it does what it does and then we go to episode two which. Cassin is now still trying to, you know, Bob and Weave from the Primor security who are now looking for him. Doesn't get a lot easier after this. And more or less, like, this episode is just, they're all dancing around. Mm-hmm. Like I say, there really isn't a lot to break down with this one. No. It was just literally, he's on the run for an entire episode, and you're seeing that everybody is basically now looking for the Starpath unit. Yep. Like, that is literally how this episode is. Hashtag save you a click. Mm-hmm. Because I'm sorry, like, this really didn't do a lot, and I thought... I, th- I think it was mostly flashback stuff in the episode, too. Yeah, they started doing a lot of the flashbacks when he was younger, and they f- and they find the crash ship, and you know they start going about that. And it- it's like, I know it's going to build into something, but I honestly felt this whole episode just filler. Yeah, k- kind of. And especially for... We already know this season's... They're going to have two seasons of this two show. Two seasons, yep. So why are we wasting time doing filler? Like, I don't know. That was my reaction to this, because literally... That's all it was. Mm-hmm. And it's foolish that they're doing this. And the only thing you had is Karn was making a move 
and more or less getting everybody all wound up. And Casson's still on the run. And he's trying to just unload as much as he can, you know, lay low. Yeah. So not a lot to write home about with this one. And then we finally get to episode three. Mm-hmm. Like I say, episode three, I really thought they finally hit the ground. They running. finally picked up. Yeah. You, you finally did something because it was just boring as all could be until. Because now. You go on uh, Ferrix, and Casson is in the abandoned factory. Mm-hmm. He runs into somebody. Yeah. Pat, who is that? Uh, that is a gentleman by the name of Luthen Rail, uh, played by, uh, what was it, Skarsgård. Uh, you know, and he's basically the guy who wants to buy the Starpath unit off of him. And, and he offers him money. It's a fair chunk of change. Mm-hmm. And, and Cassian's ready to leave. But, you know, Rail's got some questions. He's like, listen... This is not the easiest thing to get. How did how did you get this? And it's almost like the the TikTok audio or like the Instagram real audio, where it's like the wife or girlfriend asks, "How did you get? Where did how did you get? Where did you get that? Oh, they gave it to me. Bullshit. How, how much did you pay for it? They mm. get, they gave it to me. Yeah. So they're having kind of their. I don't want to say heart to heart because obviously they did have a little segue in episode two that that's mm-hmm. how Rail finds his way there. Yep. But it wasn't a lot to even write home about. But this is where you finally get the meat and potatoes because you finally have this interaction. They're going back and forth. And basically, Rail is challenging Cassidy. He's like, listen, do you want to do something more? Like, I know what you're looking for. I can help if you join my side. Cassidy, though, obviously is a little jumpy because, well, he's already been robbed Mm -hmm. or attempted to be robbed once. He's already got a warrant out for his arrest on one system. Yeah, so he's just bobbing and weaving, trying to remain low as possible. Meanwhile, you have Dwight Schrute that's making his way through the galaxy. (laughs) I think this one I'm just going to call that character from now on. He's just going to be Dwight. Uh, and he's now going through the trail that Cassin's left behind. He picks up a transmission that is going on, so now he knows where he is. Yep. During this entire point, like Cassin's now finally ready to make the sale, but Rail is telling him, like, no, let's do this. Why don't you just really join us and we can really stick it to the Empire? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a bigger purpose in life than what you're doing. So this kind of, in my way of thinking, echoes when Han Solo was recruited. Kind of. Like, it, it's parallel. It's not yeah. the same, yeah. you know, yeah. and I'm not saying it's like a ting, ding 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 This is one of those, there's a distinct difference, but the, the themes are parallel. Sure. So, that said, it's kind of a good back and forth, but by the time that they're trying to sit there and go, like, okay, what are we doing here? Well, Dwight Schrute and company crashed the party. Yeah, because, uh, what is it, a transmission or something's made from inside the factory. Yep. They, they pick up on it, and they're just like, oh, it's over in that general direction, like, you know, 10 clicks east or whatever the hell it is. And they go, oh, let's, let's head on over there. Yeah, so. But, know, there, there's multiple uh, garrisons or whatever, troops, whatever you want to say, groups. They send one group over there. The group stupidly goes in while they're running over there. Shit hits the fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of a very cool situation going on, but at least we get some kind of action. So finally, like after two episodes, we get something, which is the big takeaway here, because now we have a dramatic escape going on. Because obviously, Rail is more or less recruiting Andor to join him, and says like, "Okay, we can do this." Because now, uh, Dwight Karn is now just mm-hmm. raiding everything. And then when they finally track him down, this is where we get the shootout, and this is where they have to really fight their way out, and they're basically pinned down too. Yeah, because. You know, at this stage, you got Bix, who's played by Adriana Adjorna, mm-hmm. and she's, like, sitting there trying to make everything happen. And like I say, I honestly was getting the characters mixed up because they weren't spending a lot of time developing them. Yeah. So I know I was getting thrown off a little bit with her boyfriend, mm-hmm. uh, who's, you know, Tim Carroll yep. on this, who's played by James er, Meckerell. Mm-hmm. So, like I say, when I'm going through, like, here is, like, they were building them up enough, but it's, like, they weren't really deep diving into them. 
and everybody was sitting there trying to do it. Except when Bix is trying to do the right thing, well, she's getting stopped by the you know officers who were basically saying, okay, well, you're not helping us. We're going to start taking everybody out. And she and her boyfriend winds up getting killed. Yeah. So like say so you know, she's going to obviously jump into the mix. But it's kind of an odd situation when this is kind of thrown in here during the escape. I mean, Pat, how you kind of feeling about this at this time? It's all over the place, and it's hard to follow. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it jumps around so much that when you're sitting there trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? And I know they kind of sprinkled in the flashback sequence, which, like, I'll just save you another click. All they're doing with this is just establishing he can rob a ship. Like, let's peek behind the curtains. We had to sit here and watch the last 20 minutes of the episode just to refresh our memories what happened. Yeah, like, it's just one of those episodes that it takes so long to get invested in. It shouldn't take over an hour to get this shit started. Right. And that's what they did because they drug it on so much. Like, we started out with that good beginning where you're finally having Rail and Andor meet up and they're talking. And it's like, okay, maybe we're finally going somewhere. And then when finally the action hits. And not everything needs to be action, but we sat through two episodes of just everybody talking and walking around. It's, that's like, what, why, that's it's, what, like, it's like Lord of the Rings, part one. That's why I say they needed to drop the first three episodes of this because if we would have had to wait basically a month oh my god for this to get started people would have been revolting they should have just cleaned it up like that's the big takeaway from this like they should have really cleaned this up you didn't need all the side characters like the bix and tim story i'm sorry like that was just thrown in for reasons and it didn't even make sense in that circumstance too like i'm sorry like you had to establish that he has to connect and this is how rail gets in a hold of him but there's easier ways to go around this the writing on this was just so damn all confusing and then you really want to try making it sympathetic with Bix because she's now obviously trying to help out where she can gets locked up against a wall by the troopers sees her boyfriend get killed he's lying dead in the street and then they go away for the entire rest of the episode until the very end mm-hmm. so it's like why are we even doing this unless you want to just make it more sympathy what give more sympathy to Andor? like we're already here like he wh- fucking died spoiler alert he dies at the end of the movie yeah so what like, more sympathy do you need yeah like we already know where he goes He's dead in the next five years yeah this is the tr- this is the journey that's at hand so i mean like where are we sitting here worrying about but yet here we are so then from this point on you see the dramatic escape going on but this only kicks off from his adopted mother, and this is Andor's mother, uh, giving this phenomenal speech that goes on. Fiona Shaw gives this whole a day of a reckoning is upon us and just what the ramifications are. And you've seen the surrounding guards of the Primor security team mm-hmm. are all kind of freaking out, like, what are you talking? What are you talking about? And then, of course, you do see Serial Karn, a.k.a. Dwight Schrute, is in that apartment waiting for Andor, but he gets taken by surprise. Mm-hmm. And Andor and Rail shake him down and just basically say, okay, you're going to tell us exactly how many people you got. You're going to tell us what we want to know. And even when Karn tries being a tough guy, Rail is really like, I'll kill him right now. And then uh, Dwight sings like a canary. Yep. Gives up everything he has about their mission. So this now leads our pair to go escape through a garage where they have a scooter waiting for them because of reasons. And they wind up doing a decoy of sending a speedster out in the middle of this field after they've already tied one starship to some wreckage. So they wind up crashing that into a wall so they Mm -hmm. can't escape there. You do see the speedster go through the middle of the group that's out there, security, waiting for them to make the escape. The car flips over, crashes. Everybody's standing around it because they think that Andor and Rail are in there. And it turns out they're not. They wind up speeding right by them in a speedster. And then they hit the button. Yep. And there's an explosion, and that's how they sail off into the end of the episode with this dramatic music. You see flashbacks to everybody. Like, the only touching point of this one was seeing Marva in her apartment crying because she knows this is the last time she's going to see her, her, her adopted son alive. 
And then you do these parallel flashbacks to when she saved him when he was young and investigating the starship. And that's how it ends. Like, I thought just for where we got here, like, it finally started picking up. Like, damn, two and a half hours of watching this, and it's like, what are we doing here? Well, close to two hours, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the vibe it felt for me because it's like we had to do a rewatch just to make sure we caught all this because it was like, okay, are we really missing something? Is this show really starting this slow? And you figure with the house of the mouse behind this and the powers that be that put this all together, we shouldn't be missing as bad as we are. Well, that's the thing that threw me was people were like, this is the best Star Wars thing in years. And I'm like, really? Like, it's okay, but it wasn't okay until the final part of the third episode. Yeah, and we're talking like the last 15 minutes maybe. Yeah. So it's not even like the final part is like the final. Uh, maybe I'll even say 10. Like, it's just that unforgettable. I, I, that forgettable, I should say. There's nothing that that's unforgettable about this episode. It's just a weird paradox. And then we jump right into episode four, which now the duo has escaped. They're now planet hopping yet again. They wind up going to Aldani mm-hmm. now, which you see that basically Lutheran has kind of swayed Kasson to join him. And Kasson is kind of like, I'm still not sold about being part of the Rebel Alliance. Mm-hmm. Just not there yet. It is what it is. But this kind of proves for some more dramatic uh, moments that are going to be happening because now he takes on a new name. Yeah, uh, Clem. Yes. For Wipad reasons. reasons. Well, I, th- I think part of the reason is he's a wanted man on at least one system, probably two. So just for you know uh, concealment purposes. Yeah. So as he's here, he winds up meeting the leader of this, Velsartha. Mm-hmm. and now is kind of going to have to say, all right, how are we going to make this all work? Because I don't want to be here. The rebels that are there don't want him there. Yeah. But yet we're going to have to kind of figure this all out, and, and they're going to have a and, little it, and it's annoying because it's like, hey, we've got this job coming up. We need another, you know, we needed another hint. Yeah, but, like, every single time the, the woman would bring up, you know, why she brought on Andor, literally every single person in the camp was, well, yeah, but. Yeah. Yeah, but. Like enough of the yeah buts. Yes and yeah we did. yeah exactly like I think they're just move this shit along exactly that's the one takeaway from this because like we're finally getting somewhere and then probably the biggest takeaway from this episode right here is we see a certain senator mm-hmm. that I know Pat is very excited to talk about yeah Mon Mothma yes so you want to break down her character uh, she is an imperial senator for which planet I'm not entirely sure I don't know if it's ever been said if it has I missed it. Uh, but she figured prominently in the Rebel Alliance as she was one of the figureheads of the Rebel Alliance, uh, you know, and then also was uh, first seen in Return of the Jedi. She was the one uh, before the ba- before the battle over, fuck, what was it, Endor, uh, yeah. was given the like whole battle. Like, oh, many Bothans died to give us these battle plans. Like, you know, that woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she was supposed to have appeared in uh, this actress, Genevieve O'Reilly, was supposed to have appeared in Revenge of the Sith, filmed scenes for Revenge of the Sith, but ultimately that plot line was cut from the movie. You can still find it on the deleted scenes. Uh, but then she made her return, I guess you could say, or debut, however you want to look at it, uh, during Rogue One as Mon Mothma. Very prominent figure, though. A uh, really cool figure. Yeah, very cool moment, obviously, seeing her make her debut here. Yep. And where we're kind of going from there, obviously, she has a connection to Luther, who's now... Yeah. Uh, well, he's working his day job. Yeah, and what is his day job? Uh, he is an antiquities dealer, I guess you could say, in that uh, he collects rare artifacts from various planets of various sorts, coins, weapons, gear, uh, and likes to sell them off to folks who like to have them in their uh, house or apartment for display, uh, mainly rich imperial senators. Yes. 
And that's pretty much how that episode wraps up. Like, it's a, an odd situation, I have to say. It kind of ended kind of like just on a, like a cliff, you know, where just kind of like, and it's over because there was that whole thing with like, oh, we're going to break into the Imperial base and we're going to have to take on a garrison. Well, there's only seven of us. I know. That's why they won't be expecting it. You know, oh, this is a suicide plan. And then, like, I was expecting the, the plan to go down and then it didn't. Yeah, they didn't. It just kind of left everybody hanging. And for going into a brand new show, I don't know. Like, it was just puzzling it's not the best foot forward no it definitely wasn't and then to say it's a letdown i mean it's still too early to tell i'm not ready to write it off just yet there's still eight more episodes right but coming out season two but coming out the gate though it's not a good foot forward no it's not like we danced around way too much you introduced so many side characters in the first two episodes that are already gone and it's like why are we wasting our time if you're going to just do that like the whole thing with bix like, it was great that she was helping him out at the beginning of the, the episodes. Mm-hmm. But then she's already done by episode three. Mm-hmm. And then the boyfriend there that was kind of building the drama, he's gone. Yep. And then you're left pretty much with Dwight Karn. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's, you know, left in shame. So who knows what we're going to see if we're going to see him again. Well, and that's the thing, too, is, you know, he gets hauled in front of like that. That was one thing I did like about this episode is they introduced the Imperial Security Bureau, which they're kind of like the CIA FBI types, mm-hmm. you know, except with a lot less morals. You know, so that was awesome to see them. Uh, you did get the fun uh, Easter egg callback to Knights of the Old Republic uh, with the uh, Rakatan invasion, which that's a whole other thing I'm not going to get into. The other interesting one I thought they dropped was when uh, Mon Mothma's husband was getting ready for the dinner, you mm-hmm. know, because he's having a dinner because, hey, Senator, famous person. That's what they do. Yeah. You know, he's she's like, oh, well, wait, when did we discuss this? Well, I talked to you about it and talked to you into it like months ago. Oh, right. Now I remember that. She's like, well, who am I sitting next to? He goes, oh, the seating chart's right here. And then she starts naming off people. And there was one name she mentioned or, or yeah, she mentioned that raised my ears. And I went, OK, interesting. Uh, that was the uh, person by the name of uh, Sly Moore, uh, who was an Ambaran, uh female. Uh, she force adept, uh, which showing Ken the photo might recognize him was uh, uh, yeah. was uh, Palpatine's one of Palpatine's right hand people, not Masameda, not the blue dude with the horns, but the other one right, right. Sitting next to him. So Palpatine Sidious is right hand person. So not saying we could see all Emperor Palpy in this series, but. You know, if Sly Moore is showing up, there's a good chance we could see uh, Palpy. It can only help. Yeah, I think you and I are in agreement about this. I know we don't do grades here, but I think I have it right now around a six. I'd, I'd give it a D. Or a D? Well, even Pat, well, I mean, you are the Star Wars aficionado. I'm the Star, I'm the Star Wars guy. Like, I'm giving the, right now, I'm, listen, there's room for improvement. Corrective actions can be taken on this homework. You know, and I'm, listen, I'm not going to call it a bust now because there's still eight more episodes to go. But for right now, it's not the best foot forward. No, I fully agree with you. I think that they were jumping around too much. I think the the fact you're trying to mix in flashbacks only to prove what? He could steal a ship. Right. Like, I'm sorry. When you're given that limited amount of time, and it's not like, okay, we're in comparisons. Like when we've had flashbacks with Arrow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Granted, every episode there was a flashback, but it ultimately led to something that was going well, on. And I know we speculated on what, during one of the trailers that it was showing him as a kid, and mm-hmm. then it was showing stuff at present time, and we're like, oh, that must be showing like the contrast of how it started and how it got to this point. It's not even the same fucking planet. Exactly. So why are we showing these flashbacks of like, oh, how he got to this point, if it doesn't even fucking factor into the episode going forward? Cool, we know it, but like, why? Yeah, it makes no sense. Like, that's the whole thing about it. Like, when you finally start getting that redeeming point, and if you've ever heard us talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that's how I use the comparison. Yeah, you have the Captain America 2 episode, but it wasn't a home run after that. 
but it was stepping in the right direction. I think now that you're tying in more to the Star Wars universe and you're having more of a stronger connection, I think that can only help. But I think in the meantime, you're sitting here dancing around like, what did I waste two hours on watching? Mm -hmm. Like, literally. Like, when you finally get to a point where you're doing something, and like I said, when the drama started picking up and you started seeing uh, Scar's art interact with Diego... Mm-hmm. I thought like now okay like we're the getting... stuff with them and it was good. It was good, but the then... flashbacks I did not care for. No, because once you jump because when they start doing that, they start jumping the flashbacks, and then you're you're talking about Bix's story, and it's like no disrespect, but if you're not going to be permanently around here at this time, mm-hmm. like what are you trying to do? Establish that this is the Empire being ruthless? Like we've already done this. Yeah, we fucking know this, and, yeah. and plus, like okay, we're setting up the you're giving his backstory and yada yada. Like okay, that's fine and dandy and all, but like at the end of the day, I'm fully expecting Felicity Jones to walk in in the final shot of season two. Yeah, you know, as as uh, Jin Ursay. Mm-hmm. You know, we know where this character is going. I don't really need to know his backstory to know his motivations. You can show it. We already know he hates the fucking Empire. Who doesn't hate the Empire at this time period in Star Wars? Do we really need to get in depth about it? Yeah, like this could have been cleaned up a lot more. There's too much fat. Yeah, there's should have cut the way, fat out. Way too much fat about this one. So that said, obviously, you have heard our reaction to the first four episodes of Star Wars Andor. We want to hear yours, ODPH Society. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Let's have that honest discussion. Pat and I are willing to talk about this. We are not overly impressed with this. Stepped in the right direction, sure. But is it a home run? Ah, To be determined. Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Dawn. And I'm Cole, and Scottish Murders is a true crime podcast dedicated to people from or living in Scotland. Just like anywhere else in the world, these murders can be truly horrific and shocking, and we want to shine more light upon them. Join us every two weeks on Scottish Murders, where we'll bring you cases both solved and unsolved, giving you an insight into the other side of Bonnie Scotland. Find us wherever you stream your podcasts, as well as on social media. Join Join us there. there. Bye! Coming back for another segment here on the ODPH podcast, and let's talk about a better show. Yeah. Let's talk about a happier show. Yes. And that has been the surprise hit on Disney Plus from Marvel Studios, She-Hulk Attorney at Law, which Mm -hmm. Tatiana Maslany is playing the title role of Jennifer Walters, the cousin of Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk, who gets uh, a blood-saving, well, in the comics, it's a blood-saving transfusion. On the show, it's just the blood is mixed from a car accident. Accidentally. Accidentally, and now she is a She-Hulk, literally. Mm -hmm. And what happens in her daily life now has become nothing short of a whirlwind. And this past week's episode definitely kept the fun vibe going because where most of the criticism comes from a lot of people is, well, it's too lighthearted, it's too comedic, it's too different, so to speak, than what they're used to from some of the comics, which I say, have you ever read She-Hulk? Yeah, really. This is She-Hulk to the letter. So uh, you, I would strongly suggest going to your local comic shop, maybe picking up some issues, or go on Marvel Comics Unlimited, and go definitely check that out and get more familiar with the character because this has been very sharp in its writing and it's definitely capturing that vibe with it. And this past week's episode, entitled Just Jen, definitely had that same feeling to it. So, Pad, spoiler-free statement on the episode. Thought it was a really fun episode. Kind of like a more lighthearted one, I guess you could say, but still fun nonetheless. I dug it. 
I dug it for the cameo that uh, appeared, and I will explain why when we get into the deep dive. But it was fun, and it did what it needed to do. I'm not sure where they're exactly going Mm -hmm. with the villain of this series because we do have three more episodes left after this. But there's a lot of possibilities going on, and where this plays into the future for the MCU is really anybody's guess. But it was a fun episode, and that's kind of been the vibe of this show thus far. That said, in three, two, one, talk to me. Thought it was a fun episode. I enjoyed it, but like I'm starting to hate the I guess the Marvel TV formula where it's we wait until the final three episodes of the series before our character finally confronts whoever the the main villain is. Because yes, uh, Titania has been a thorn in her side. I don't think she's the main villain. There's not nearly enough going on story wise for her to be the the main villain of the mm-hmm. show. You know, I, I, I really think it's whoever's behind, you know, the criminal organization that wants to steal her blood because we, in the preview or recap uh, for this episode, you know, they did show that clip. So I'm like, oh, maybe we're going to get something out of this episode. And we kind of did, you know, but I, I'm really starting to, I don't want to say get annoyed, but like be a little disappointed with the ongoing, we're going to wait until the final three episodes before we really introduce who the main villain is. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that they have been dancing around enough that it makes sense. But at the same time, I mean, that's something that we've seen in this recent phase. Like, would you say since Hawkeye? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, you yeah. seem to kind of we're just now hustling to the end of the show to really yeah, establish cause, something. Because Loki, we kind of knew like we kind of knew who the villain was, you know. Yeah. But like, obviously, we didn't see Kang until the very end. You know, he ultimately be ultimately was the one pulling the strings. But we didn't really have an inkling of that. You know, WandaVision was more of the what the fuck is going on. Yeah, WandaVision's a whole different you ball know, of wax. You know, but yeah, Hawkeye was really the first one, I guess you could say, that where it was like, even even uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, I can't remember which one came out first. I think Falcon Winter Soldier came out before Hawkeye did. I could be Yes, wrong. you're right. You know, we, we saw who the villain was. We knew who the villain was, but it wasn't until like the second half of the series, the latter third, whatever it was, where they finally confronted each other. Well, I think where this show strives at is to be different. Yeah. And they, they're trying to do a lot of one and dones, which I get. I'm not mad about for being a nine episode season. I get. But if you're going to have the underlying theme of there's a ultimate bad at the end, mm-hmm. I think if it's sprinkled in a little more than they have done here, I think it would probably have been a better in its favor. Yeah. A better feeling, I would say. Because we're like where this episode jumps in, Jennifer Walters has now been invited to be a bridesmaid for one of her. Uh, Friends, like I don't even understand how they could be friends at this stage because yeah. just how the dynamic is different between her and her quote unquote friend Lulu, mm-hmm. uh, who's played by Patty Harrison. I uh, it, it's just kind of like watching it unfold is going okay. How are you two even like cohabitating as like normal people? Because Lulu is complete bridezilla, doesn't want to be upstage as Jennifer Walters now shows up as She Hulk and is yeah. stealing the thunder. Uh, but it's kind of a weird thing, but she promises that she will be back to Jennifer Walters for the wedding. However, though, when she shows up at the wedding, Pad, who does she run into? Titania. Yes. So she sees her uh, uh, arch nemesis, I guess we can say at this yeah, point, which yeah. is, is fair. Jamil Jamel uh, is playing that role, and she's been absolutely great in it because they've really kind of flipped it as she's been like this uh, insane social media influencer and been basically obsessed with taking out She-Hulk by any means. At this point, she's dating one of the groomsmen, so that's how she gets in there. And the only person that realizes this is Jennifer Walters, who's screaming, like, the only reason you're here is because you're trying to get at me. 
it is what it is. So during this whole ordeal, the only person that's kind of showing some interest is a friend of the grooms mm-hmm. by the name of Josh. Hey. <laughs> so he makes his play, and he's kind of been like the voice of sanity, here, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing, but it just we'll just chalk it up to what pad? Reasons. Reasons. So you're seeing that, okay, she's you know, obviously has an ally here, but ultimately it comes down that Titania is there to fight. They have a fight break out. Yep. It makes things all types of messy, but She-Hulk gets the upper hand. Great uh, sound of music from the DJ. Oh, yes. Break it down. Uh, no, they go into a fight, and the DJ starts playing <laughs> some awesome music during the fight. He's, he goes, wedding fight. Yes. You know, I was almost waiting for the Mortal Kombat music to start playing. Yeah, which, I mean, it just kind of played into just the humor of this show. Yeah. And that's one thing that we can definitely take with. And that's pretty much like all that really happens with Jennifer Walters this episode. And I mean, it's a lot more she's bonding with somebody else. So she finally thinks she breaks through and somebody's understanding the trouble she's going through. But it turns out that that might not be the case. Because what we're finding out is that there is a secret group that is basically online bullying. Yeah. Uh, boy, boy, they really drew from real life for this one. Oh my god, yeah, the comparisons Ooh. here was absolutely wild. And the group is Intelligica, which I think is supposed to be the MCU's version of 4chan. You would think, and in the comics, it's a little different because the comics is pretty much like the smartest villains in the MCU. Sure, they get together. It's like Leader, uh, Red Ghost, um. Like, it's countless others. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Dr. Doom isn't in, or if he was, it was for, like, a quick cup of coffee. He doesn't want to be the wizard from uh, the Frightful Four. Oh, okay. I believe it was in there at one point. Like, they kind of had, like, a rotating cast. And it was more geared towards the Hulk. So now it seems like they're using their powers to go after She-Hulk, mm-hmm. which is an interesting play, I got to admit. And we do see, like, there's a little behind the scenes of how the needles... They're working on to steal the blood to do whatever with yep. is at the end. So this does go back to a theory that Ron from 3FN had, and I'll give him credit for this, because he was saying at the beginning it was going to be the leader, was going to be the va- the bad guy of this. Okay. Still could be. Could be. And now I actually have a question I will pose to you. Yeah. We do know that the leader is returning yep. for the Captain America 4 movie New World Order. Yes. Is it possible that this is going to be the setup for it, and we don't know? Could be. I mean, that would make a lot of sense. It's a movie I don't think a lot of people have seen, or if they did, they saw it once and then never saw it again. So I think it would make sense to introduce him here before you do uh, it in the movie itself so that you don't have to spend a whole lot of time on origin stuff. You know, so I I could see it. I think it would be a smart play if they did this, because if you're going to have the leader be the bad guy, which they've already announced for New World Order, what if he's trying to make his own new super soldiers, but with gamma radiation? I mean, it's a plausible idea. Yeah, it could be. So you could definitely see that happen. And I think that that'd be a, that would be a truly smart thing to do because for a lot of readers, unless you're diehard Hulk readers, and, and obviously they've kind of steered away from the leader in the comics to a degree. Like they've been kind of going in different directions, obviously with Planet Hulk really stealing some thunder and you know what they did with the Immortal Hulk, which is a fantastic read. I think that they've been really kind of keeping away with that, and you've really almost forgotten about the leader mm-hmm. to, to a degree. Like, it's just kind of an interesting play that I think they're going to wind up doing for it, but it's something that they can definitely mix in to this whole new landscape of the next phase. And especially if they want to do this right, 
you can bring in somebody like the leader and, and obviously set up this group. I don't know if it's going to be Modoc involved because I know Modoc was involved in the original group. Right. So right. they could go that route. Could be alluded to. I think so because I mean, could be safe for season two if they want to do a second season. Yeah, because if they really want to kind of play around with this, they can definitely mess around with, especially the lineups that I feel they've like had. It's too late in the game to do Modoc, though. You know, but is it? Like the thing about it with him is he has such a weird cult following. Like it's it, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I don't get it, but I respect it. But there are so many people like Modoc is their guy, and I'm like. I have never in my entire time in the comic shop ever like processed this because he's just the big floating head on steroids. Yep. I mean, granted, the Hulu show, vastly underrated. Yeah. You know, I think that that show was fun for what it needed to be mm-hmm. because, I mean, let's face it, Modoc is just Modoc. Right. But for what this group has been lined up with, I mean, like I say, the Red Ghost was one that was there. The Mad Thinker was another one. I want to say the Wizard from Frightful Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, they've had a lot of incarnations with this team. But, like I say, it was more geared towards the Hulk and I believe Red Hulk, too, at one point. But it's a it's a forgettable group, to be honest with you. But if they want to play it this way, I think doing that with the leader, that could be something and something we'll have to keep in track of. And I know the person that found this was She-Hulk's best friend, Nikki, mm-hmm. when she was helping out uh, Mallory with, uh, with another case because, obviously, Jen was tied up with her. Uh, wedding situation, but Ginger Gonzalez, who's played Nikki, is the one who did it, said she wasn't going to tell Jen about it, but then winds up trying to tell Jen at the end. So I've seen an online theory with this, but I want to run it by you. Okay. There's a lot of people speculating that Nikki is part of this group. Mm, Could be. And I'm kind of thinking, all right, I don't necessarily know if it's her or not. But I think there is somebody undercover that is. Could be someone on the inside. Yeah, I could see it. Because I've heard some online theories. They think it was Josh from the wedding. Mm-hmm. I heard they were thinking it's that real artistic uh, date that she had um, from her uh, Tinder swipes. Probably that dastardly heel David Otunga. Oh, if it's only David Otunga, I will mark out. Because, he, God damn it, that heel. Oh, fantastic heel. But I think that there could be a mix in there. But I don't know how they're going to play this group unless... Would they go to like a? I know I'm going to kind of try, take this into a really odd place, but would they do it with like adaptations or super androids? Nah. Like, the, like that's the only thing. Like I was thinking, I'm going like, how are you going to wind up pulling this off? If like everybody's supposed to be a member, because it's just kind of crazy with this going on, but this does play into where we could go here, and especially if this is going to tie into the next movie. So I'm throwing that Easter egg out for everybody. But I will say this, the highlight of this episode for me yeah. was when Mallory and Nikki were working with a client yeah, and it was trying to get out of, if I read this correctly and I heard this correctly, yeah, several marriages. Yeah. It was at least seven or eight. Yeah. Well, do you know who this character is, Pad? Mr. Immortal. Do you know what team he's from? No. Okay. I marked out because I laughed hysterically. Mr. Immortal is one of the flagship members of one of the most infamous groups in all of Marvel Comics, the Great Lake Avengers. Okay. Which are some of the most absurd superheroes you will ever find in all of Marvel Comics. Like, their team... Basically, is 
one of the biggest jokes in all of comics, but they're so corny they make you laugh. Like you can't you can't help. Like they've had some different incarnations over the years. Squirrel Girl came out of that one, okay. which I know obviously she's uber popular now and yeah. and kind of is broken out of that. So like she's the one breakout character from this. Yeah. I will admit though, I'm marked out because Mr. Immortal basically does not die, but yeah. he dies for like a couple minutes and then comes back. Yeah. And how they did him in this episode, I thought was brilliant. That was hysterical. Because basically he's just sitting there like, well, all right, this meeting is now working. I'm going to jump out of this high-rise story. Because, you know, the lawyers are presenting him with facts and logic, and that doesn't work for him. And he's just like, you know what? F this. I'm done. Throws himself out a window. A high-rise building in L.A. I don't know how many floors up he is. Crashes onto a cop car. Glass shatters everywhere. Everyone freaks the hell out. And then he just gets up, straightens his neck, straightens his shirt, and goes about his day. Yeah. Like, I'm now showing Pad... The team of the Great Lake Avengers. That's so weird. Yes. You have coming, Doorman, who looks like uh, Venom. Coming next spring. Flatman, Big Bertha, and I, I'm blanking on the Paradactyl one. And they are just the most absurd superheroes you'll ever meet in your life. Like, I laugh hysterically when I see them. Because they're just, I mean, and they're meant to be fun. Like, And this is just a perfect play into She-Hulk. Now. Are they going to be sticking around? Oh, I hope so, but I know she's not joining that team under any circumstances. But they're a team that definitely throws in a little comedic humor to the MCU, and I know that we're expecting a lot more D-list villains coming through. I know Frogman is there. Shout out to Mike from the Multiverse of Badness. Uh, We're expecting him at any point to make his appearance. And this just plays into the show's humor, and I thought for it was a good balance this episode, too, of drama, because we did have Intelligica. Try saying that three times fast. No, thanks. So you have that storyline, which they're going to have to speed through unless you're going to say, like, Nikki was a secret agent the entire time. Sure. Or somebody else. I think if you do it, the guy from the wedding, I don't think that's going to work. No. Maybe if you did the the one of the Tinder dates, that would make sense. Money's on David Atonga. It writes itself. Goddamn heel. Fantastic. Love you, David. Yes. David, David Otunga is welcome to come on the ODPH at any point. We are big fans of him here. Never forget NXT. <laughs> best faction ever but that said this episode i thought really hit its stride i think now going into it though i do agree with you we've taken so long to get here and establish the main villains i think that's gonna be the only yeah. drawback from this yeah that's- unless they do a season two you know which who knows you know they haven't said one way or the other you know i could i could see them doing a season two just because to me what they're doing here doesn't seem and this is gonna be my benchmark until they do this again you know, it doesn't seem like a WandaVision where, like, the events of this movie are going to lead directly into a movie that's coming out, you know, in the next phase or next two phases. Could something from this end up in one of those movies? Sure. Mm-hmm. But the directs directly influence the storyline of that one of those movies. I just don't see it happening. So I could see this getting another season. I think it will. I, I think what Marvel did, and I think they're smart about this. Mm-hmm. WandaVision was the test mark for everything. Because if WandaVision fails, like let's say it completely was absolutely abysmal, we don't get the continuous spinoff shows. And wasn't it supposed to come out second? Wasn't it? Falcon, mm-hmm. Falcon Winter Soldier? Falcon Winter Soldier was, was supposed, supposed to be the first one. Supposed to be the first one, yeah. Right. But obviously there was a little, there was many situations going on there at the time of filming that WandaVision wound up jumping them. But due to that, though, I think WandaVision showed, okay, this is the blueprint. You can do a one and done and it'd be done. After that, I think, though, the MCU is kind of looking at who they're going to pair up in the next phase to do. Sure. And I think that now they're really going out of their way. I mean, this is just my opinion about this. 
to establish that next gen of MCU heroes. Yeah. And I think the rotating that, cast, like much like they do in the comics. Right. So I think that for anybody that thought the original cast was going to be sticking around and let's face it. I mean, we do forget that Scarlet Witch and Vision have been there since Age of Ultron. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. So, yeah. I mean, I think this ties up their story. And then if they want to bring back Scarlet Witch, which I think she has a better chance of coming back than Vision. And I had a theory about that today, too. And it was based off of a fan post or something made for Agatha House of the Coven. It was like, the show that's coming out. show that's coming out because somebody made a fan poster of Agatha doing like the sitting meditating pose like Wanda did. But then did like a slash down the side and like then mirrored the other side to be Wanda. And I'm like, oh, what if they bring her back that way through through that show? It's possible. It really is like anything. Anything is fair game because I I don't think that they realized, meaning the MCU mm-hmm. creative team, how big Scarlet Witch could be. Yeah, and I think like obviously Elizabeth Olsen has done a phenomenal job playing her, but I think when you start bringing it in down in that aspect, I don't think they realize like okay we can just write her off and be done. Like we're gonna have to find some way to bring her back if they want to do it with Catherine Hahn taking over the role and like a possession type deal. I think that could work too. Oh, absolutely. Because Catherine Hahn can do no wrong. So, you know, we have a lot to look forward to. But this could all be coming out of She-Hulk. I mean, that's kind of the thing at the end of the day. So this episode, though, Pat, final thoughts? thought it was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Kind of interested to see where they go. I'm, I'm thinking they might do season two. And a little fan casting for season two. Have a little fun crossover. Sam Watterson and Ice-T. Oh, do a, oh, do, oh. Do a little bit of... They don't even got to be playing their characters from that show. Just have it close enough. Give it to me. How good would that be? I'm fucking here for that oh my gosh ice tea and sam watterson it'd be good law and order mcu on that note hit us up on that hashtag hashtag odph pod what is your thoughts about just jen episode six of marvel studios disney plus smash hit she hulk attorney at law we're gonna take a quick break we'll be right back do not adjust your dial or well your phone your watch or Whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds, Tyler Mack. And I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating and enlightening and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 and Nerdy podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andnerdypod and check out what all is going on at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Whether it's DC, Marvel, comics, or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. Cheers to you, nerds. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and let's step into the time warp again, shall we? <laughs> House of the Dragon still lighting up viewership yeah. all over the place. The ratings are through the roof, and they decided to do a soft reset this week. Kind of. And that is something we'll definitely be diving into for the episode entitled The Princess and the Queen. So, you know the deal by now. Pad spoiler-free statement. Thought it was a good episode. Thank God this is the final time jump they're going to do for this show, that it's going to be more streamlined because I am sick and tired of time jumps, but I still enjoyed the episode. I'm with you. For being a Game of Thrones spinoff, they are doing too many damn time jumps. Like, I get it. It's 200 years in the past. Like, we're here. I get you. Like, we don't need to keep switching everything up. 
But coming off last week's episode, this felt like a soft reboot. And I know they said something about this during the post show they do after the show comes out. Yeah. I fully agree. This felt like a season premiere. Yeah. So that said, I thought it was okay. I was not in love with the episode, but I thought it was okay. Like on a scale of Andor hate, Mm -hmm. well, I shouldn't say Andor hate, but Andor dislike. Yeah. Uh, very much above that, but not fully saying, you know, Dark Phoenix hate. Oh Lord, that's a whole other level. Right, that's a whole different. That's a whole different podcast. If you want to go through that episode, one of the finest Ooh. moments of ODPH history. Let me tell you that. But we have to get breaking down the latest of the Game of Thrones spinoff. So in three, two, one, talk to me. Like I said, thought it was a really good episode. You know, it, and like you said, it did feel like a, a proper season premiere. You know, and I'm finally glad that we're in this point where things are going to be more streamlined going forward. Just because, you know, the time jumps were easier to manage with this just because it wasn't bouncing back and forth and all over the place. You know, but now that we've got everything set, we're in those kind of throws of where we're going to go. It's going to be a fun ride, I think. Yeah, I think we're finally going to get somewhere with this. Uh, And I shouldn't say that, but we've been going in such a strong direction that to do a soft reboot. I understand why. Mm -hmm. I'm not mad at it. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, why? Like... Maybe you should go on to the end of this season, then come back next season. Yeah, that might that might have been a smarter play, but because you get attached to those characters and the actresses that they've replaced did a phenomenal job yeah, they coming did. out. So it's like, okay, to do the reboot, there's a lot of pressure on them to deliver. And not saying they didn't, but it's like it goes back to all right, if you are, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So why are we going back to the well and trying to re you know get water? I don't know. It's just kind of a thing with me that when you get attached to characters, you don't want to see anybody go. But here we are. And this is where we jump in because, well, Rainier, she is now given birth to a whole slew of kids. With three boys. Yes. Uh, whose names are, and I'm going to butcher these names, so I apologize, uh, Jacaris, Luceris, and the name of all names, Joffrey. Yeah, when I heard this, I'm like, are you serious? Joffrey's been hanging around this entire... It, you know what it's got to be? It's got to be like the last name of Smith or or like the first name of John. Very common and, and very popular because otherwise, why the hell would you name your kid this? Yeah, that's the only thing you can kind of think of with that. It was just like, all right, here we go. But nevertheless, you hear the name, it goes. And the frenemy situation going on between Allison and Rhaenyra, mm-hmm. it, it's picking up more steam because yeah. Allison is definitely like, uh, yeah, those kids are uh, uh, not from uh, the traditional family sense. Yeah. She likes to throw on that certain B word. Mm-hmm. Bastards. Yeah. So, obviously, they're still keeping on that whole frenemy vibe, which, I mean, Emma Darcy jumps right into this role as Rhaenyra, and she is just definitely hitting the ground, running very fast. What? What are you talking about? Yeah, she's not. She's like, okay, denying everything that's going on, and then... Obviously, when you get Allison in there too, her character is just absolutely just. Well, and I and I don't doubt you know it's been ten years. I don't doubt Allison knows some stuff. It's like I said, it's been ten years. People like to drink tea. Mm-hmm. You know, they like to spill a little bit of tea. Yeah, and she's definitely been doing it ever since that she got into the situation involving uh, the uh, suitor mm-hmm. of the young. Uh, princess yeah but obviously olivia cook hits the ground running and she's already kind of talking to the the king who's not looking worse or any better he is no. he's looking at he's like I'm surprised he's still alive i am too jesus like i thought when they did this off reboot I, and it's nothing against patty constantine 
I think he's done a, a, yeah. a solid job in the yeah. role. I haven't liked how he's been written, but I think he's done great for what he's been given. I was like, okay, this has been a perfect time to kill him off. The the man looks like one good gust of wind will knock him over and kill him. Absolutely. Like, he he does looks, not look good. He looks like shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. The man must be on a lot of milk of the poppy. Yeah, something's going on there. And then this is kind of where, like, Allison's stirring up every single kind of controversy she can because it's ultimately coming down that for, to win this Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. she's going to have to fight Rhaenyra. Well, and she, and she knows where things are going to go. She's she's no idiot. You know, she's smart enough to read the tea leaves, I guess you could say, that, that she knows. You know, this ain't exactly modern times where, you know, whoever can become king or queen when the, when the king dies. Mm-hmm. She knows that hey you know my husband has already named her named his heir my kids aren't it you know so as soon as my husband dies i'm going to be relegated to a life of basically nothing to do you know that you're going to be put she's essentially going to be put out to pasture that like you know and it ain't even going to be in this in the same way uh uh, jamie's sister uh, cersei Mm -hmm. you know it ain't ain't even going to be in a way that like okay you know, Cersei's quote unquote husband died, and then she was still able to remain in power as queen mother, and yada yada. Like that, she ain't even going to be able to do that. So she's like, I want to stay relevant. I want to stay involved in this. I have to play my uh, chess pieces and chess moves very carefully. Yes. So they're definitely setting up smartly, and I I do like what they're doing there. Like I thought for being the new additions to the show, yeah. they, they hit the ground running. But we also now segue to the MVP of this show, Matt Smith. Hell yeah. And Damon, and obviously now with a new bride, Lena, yeah, yeah. Uh, they are now kind of, uh, dare I say, are they trying to like form their own contingency here? They seem like things are going a little happy. They've got some kids. You know, things are going good for them. Yeah, because now they're trying to do the whole uniting by marriage, uh, basically bring back their uh, power, if you mm-hmm. will, mm-hmm. kind of making the tours about that. But then, like, everything kind of goes sideways a bit because Lena goes and gets her commits suicide yeah. by having her own dragon who because she's a dragon rider we also forgot to mention yeah incinerator because during childbirth the baby is stillborn yeah the baby's stillborn and so she she loses the kid and and she's heartbroken distressed and goes out and dies yes and and damon is just kind of sitting there just going like wait what is going on and then they cut away from it, which I, I was hoping they kind of did more of a follow to see how he's reacting to it. But I understand they were really trying to make a point to jump around because they wanted to go back to Sir Kristen. Mm-hmm. Because now during the time jump, Sir Kristen is now House Alicent. Yep. Something going on there. Probably. Which it's I been mean, ten, It's been 10 years. It, Probably. It, yeah. I, I'm just saying that that's going on there. I'm going to spill my own little tea there, in my opinion. And during this, he is going out of his way. To provoke anybody connected to Rhaenyra. Yeah. Like, he is like, lost his damn mind. Well, he's a little upset at this point, I would say. Well, yeah, because the affair has been exposed. So now he is pretty much barking at Sir Harwin, who I'm assuming at this point is a, is a suitor of Rhaenyra. Probably. Because, you know, obviously their their marriage is a little crazy. So, a little open. Yeah, it's a little open, to say the least. So they now have a fight in the courtyard. So this is now spilling over where everybody's kind of picking up wind of what's going on. And now there's more steam going on about Rhaenyra's infidelity. Yeah. That, yeah, she is messing around with Harwin. Yeah. And obviously it's getting more messy as this is going. And then kind of in response, well, you know what? We should just have houses marry and everything will be fine. 
Because that'll fix everything. Yeah, it's a game of throwing the band-aid to everything. You know, if you somebody gets killed, hey, just get married. It's cool. Like, no worries. It's all good. Yeah. And so now she's trying to say, well, Generis should marry Helena, which is Allison's daughter. So the reuni- reuniting the houses. Reunited and it feels so good. But my God, Allison is like, get the hell out of here. I'm not hearing any of this nonsense. We're done. Like, conversation is wrapped. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not reuniting houses. You're gone. I'm gone. Conversation's done. And then meanwhile, at the same point, Veneris, who's been sitting there making models again, because that's what he does, is getting approached by his hand of the king who wants to give the honor back. And Veneris is like, nope, you got it. You were my best friend during this entire situation that I've gone through the past 10 years that we haven't talked yeah. about. So guess what? You're not going anywhere. Nope. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, if that's the case, I want to go escort my son back to Harald. Mm-hmm. And there is a goodbye between Harwin and Rhaenyra. Yep. So this is all going to play a big factor into a debut that they had that is definitely going to be a big problem for everybody in this landscape. And that is Laris, who is going to be the new Joffrey. He's going to be the the new um, pain in the ass. Yeah, to say the least. And more or less goes, okay, I see the landscape here. I'm going to get an army of criminals. And obviously, we're going to brand loyalty to them. So he does a very horrific thing. He's branding their faces at one point. Yeah. Which is something this show does not shy away from. Like, we need to remind no. everybody no. that basically, if, if you want shock value, we're in the building. We're going to definitely do it to you, and we don't really care what you think about it. I mean, at least they weren't doing a you know insane uh, limb cutting or... Yeah, or, or some real crazy spots for branding. Yes. So it becomes a very odd situation going on with this, but it's something that we've now all become very used to. So when he's now putting together everybody, he now makes a very big play. And, Pad, what is that play? Uh, he goes and cause, starts a fire at Harrenhal that kills uh, Lionel and Harwin. Yep. Uh, much to the joy and pleasure of Alicent. No, I'm kidding. She's totally shocked. She's like, what the hell is going on? So basically, she's made a deal with the devil. Mm-hmm. And now she's going to have to sew that because, well, you just killed the hand of the king, whether you meant to or not. I'm leaning on the fact that he did because I think that, obviously, in the Game of Thrones, he must upgrade his status very much because now... If I'm not mistaken, he is going to take over that ca- that castle. I would imagine so, yeah. Then obviously, I think he's just done it by a, a, a vicious takeover. I mean, I'm not exactly sure the uh, you know legal ramifications of you know burning an entire castle and city down. You yeah. know, that becomes yours. Yeah. But he makes a very strong argument, and obviously, he now has Allison in the palm of his hands because guess what? He's like, well, I did this for you. In much in the same case of Rikishi doing it for The Rock way back when. <laughs> he now has gone and killed the hand of the king. And basically, if he gets caught, he goes, well, I, Allison told me to. Yeah. So he has now become an extremely interesting character to watch mm-hmm. moving forward. A bit of a loose cannon. Gavin Spokes, who plays him, I think we're going to see a lot of him. I think you're going to see a lot of people get very, very vocal about him. And uh, for all the right reasons. Because when you're a villain on a show and you're causing that kind of reaction... You're doing something right. I'm just waiting until he really starts sinking his teeth into this. Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah, because when that happens, I think we're really going to start picking up some steam, and I'm definitely here for that. 
And that's kind of how the show ends. Yeah. Which I am perfectly all right with. Pat, final thoughts on the episode. I thought it was a fun episode. I'm glad they're finally set in the time frame of where they are going forward because, boy, it looks like it's going to be crazy. Yeah, this is what I want. With five episodes left, like, give me some kind of wild, crazy shit going on. If you're going to do the time jump, okay. Like I said, hated the timing of it. I would have much rather them take a month off and come back. At least give a break so it feels like a real time jump. Instead of going from week to week, I thought that was kind of just the only thing I'm going to be uh, kind of critical of, but not enough that I would give it a low grade. Sure. I think the show definitely was doing a lot more dramatic uh, moments in this, especially involving uh, Damon's character, which I thought they should have spent a little more time on. But I am just waiting to the ine- to the inevitable confrontation he has with Laris. And I cannot wait to see that because that will be probably the highlight of the season for me. But I thought it was a very strong episode. I really like the new additions to the show. Sad to see the old ones go, but where we're going with the story, I think now we're finally picking up some steam. Well, and we only got two more weeks before we figure out if uh, House of the Dragon is going to continue the Game of Thrones tradition with the penultimate episode being fucking batshit crazy. Because uh, this was episode six. We have episode, there's uh, ten episodes in this season. So we've got two more episodes before we reach episode nine. Yes. So we'll see We'll see if House of the Dragon continues the tradition. And the title of the episode nine, The Green Council. Mm-hmm. What is synonymous with that color? Uh, it was a re- It's in reference to what happened in the last episode. It's a declaration of war. Uh-huh. Ah, finally, we're getting somewhere with this show. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your feelings about the latest episode of the Game of Thrones spinoff on HBO Max, House of the Dragon, episode six, entitled The Princess and the Queen? Let's have that conversation, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cause I wanna go Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, first of which is The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Thought this was another good episode. Uh, it was titled Partings. Thought it was a lot of fun, a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, especially feels like we're really getting amped up uh for what's going to happen uh you know coming down the final three episodes of the season gladriel's finally got folks ready to go for battle uh you know everything going on with elrond and durin and setting that whole thing up we're setting up a lot of stuff it's going to be a bit of a slow burn though we got to remember it is all all, they do have five more seasons planned to this or four or five seasons planned to this thought it was a fun episode highly recommend you check it out yeah yeah, I've been hearing a lot. Of, i got to catch up on this. It's been a crazy weekend. But I think that people are really saying, like, now it's in its, its Yeah. You know, much like we were talking about with Andor, but except it's got there. How crazy is it that this show got there quicker than Andor? I know. It's it's a little insane. Yeah. Uh, moving on to some uh, Marvel news. Uh, it was reported this morning by the folks over at The Hollywood Reporter that uh, the Blade movie is losing its director, uh, Bassam uh, Tariq. Oh. Uh, so reading from the Hollywood Reporter article, it says, Marvel Studios' Blade will no longer have director Bassam Tariq at the helm. Blade, which has a release date of November 3rd, 2023, was gearing up to begin shooting in November in Atlanta. It is unclear how Tariq's departure will impact uh, the production start of the impact the production start of the vampire action thriller, which has Oscar winner Mahershala Ali in the title role, with the cast also including Delroy Lindo and old actor Aaron 
old, the, the movie, mm-hmm. actor Aaron Pierre. Aaron Pierre. Uh, quote, due to continued shifts in our production schedule, Bassam is no longer moving forward as director of Blade, but will remain an executive producer on the film. Marvel said in a statement to The Hollywood Reporter, we appreciate Bassam's talent and all the work he's done getting Blade to where it is, close quote. Tariq thanked Marvel in his own statement, saying, quote, It's been an honor working with the wonderful folks at Marvel. We were able to put together a killer cast and crew eager to see where the next director takes the film, close quote. Uh, so obviously people took this to be the sky is falling, you know, of course there's a rumor going around about a 90 page script, only two action sequences that they liked and Kevin Feige stretched in, uh, listen folks, they haven't even started filming yet, you know, so who's to say what the issue are with the, with the fight sequences and this and that I, to me, this just looks like a case of, Hey, you know, the director couldn't do the production schedule in November. He had something he was contractually obligated to do, and so he had to back out. Simple as that. In the words of Aaron Rodgers, R-E-L-A-X. Mm-hmm. It's not like the movie is scrapped. This does happen from time to time. Yeah. I think people get so wound up because it's Marvel. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, something's wrong, something's wrong. It's like, no, like yeah. this happens. And I'm sure that, I mean, obviously we've heard a lot of crazy rumors coming out about this. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, I forget what chat they, this came in. It might have been Sean from Metalcore Nerds, shout out to him. Uh, was saying, this is like the dirt sheet writers in wrestling. Yeah. that you, It's like you're playing the game telephone. Yeah. You hear something and just are running with it. Yep. Stop. You're allegedly doing that. Stop. Yeah. Uh, sticking with some Marvel news, it was announced shockingly to everyone that Hugh Jackman is coming back to play Wolverine. Uh, hey now. This time in Deadpool 3. Uh, so reading from an article on Variety.com, it says, quote, Hugh Jackman will be back as Wolverine in Deadpool 3. Ryan Reynolds announced on his social media Tuesday afternoon. Deadpool 3 ha- also has a release date of September 6th, 2024. Quote, Hey, everyone, we're extremely sad to have missed D23, but we've been working very hard on the next Deadpool film for a good long while now, Reynolds says in the video, referencing the D23 Expo in early September. I've had to really search my soul on this one. His first appearance in the MCU obviously needs to feel special. Uh, We need to stay true to the character, find new depth, motivation, meaning. Every Deadpool needs to stand out and stand apart. It's been an incredible challenge that has forced me to reach down deep inside, and I... I have nothing. Yeah, it's just completely empty up here and terrifying, but we do have we did have one idea. Hey you, you want to play Wolverine one more time? Reynolds asks as Hugh Jackman walks by in the background. Yeah, sure, Ryan. J- Jackman replies. The video ends with uh, Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You, subtitled as I Will Always Love Hugh, mm. and a coming Hune teaser. The Deadpool logo appears and then is quickly sliced up by Wolverine's adamantium claws. Uh, you then get the video below. Uh, the movie is, of course, directed by Sean uh, Levi, who worked on Free Guy and The Adam Project with Reynolds. Uh, he is directing this. Now, of course, everyone is going, oh, well, what does this mean for the Logan films? What does this mean for this? Who the hell knows? Let's just enjoy the ride. But if I swear to God, if the movie doesn't start with uh, Deadpool standing over Wolverine's grave and asking if he's going to desecrate this grave for the sake of, <laughs> sake of money, I, I, I'm going to be severely disappointed. Uh, but And I know they put out a video saying, oh, hey, we're going to explain everything right now. And then music played over it. Uh, but the wonderful folks over at John Boy Media, the fantastic lip readers they are, shout out to those guys. 
mm-hmm. uh, did a lip reading video and they said absolutely nothing of note. It was just random bullshit. Oh, I expect no less. I mean, this is huge news to begin with. Yeah. And then let alone, they're not going to tip anything off. I oh, mean, hell no. I think they've got plenty of stories they can work with and run with. And honestly, if they come up with something fresh and new for this, I'm okay with this either. Perfect way to introduce Ryan Reynolds to the MCU and bring in Hugh Jackman along. I mean, even if it's one shot or maybe this is going to be something more, who knows? Who cares? Who knows? Let's do it. Uh, switching over to some Harry Potter news. Uh, the late Alan Rickman does have a book coming out. Uh, it is his his uh, his uh, diaries he had from his filming career, and particularly some of the stuff during the Harry Potter uh, films, which he was, of course, a big part of. Right. He, he was in all eight films starring as the Professor Severus Snape. Uh, reading from an article on IGN.com, it says, quote, The late Alan Rickman was a major part of the Harry Potter films as the enigmatic Professor Snape, but there was a point where Rickman nearly quit the famous films. Published, really? published in The Guardian, extracts from Rickman's diaries reveal that it wasn't all fun and wizardry behind the scenes on Harry Potter, at least not for Rickman. Talking to Agent Paul Lyon Maris about Harry Potter exit, which he thinks will which he thinks will happen, he wrote on December 4th, 2002. But here we are in the project collision area again, reiterating no more HP. They don't want to hear it. Close quote. His comments came following the Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets in 2002, which propelled, which propelled the franchise to even dizzier heights following the Sorcerer's Stone in 2001. But this glimpse into Rickman's experience with the franchise reveals major truths, including Rickman's adoration for series lead Daniel Radcliffe. Hmm. Quote, Daniel Radcliffe is so concentrated now, serious and focused, but with a sense of fun, he wrote in May 2003 as they began filming Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. I still don't think he's really an actor, but he will undoubtedly direct slash produce. He has been such, he has such quiet, dignified support from his parents. Nothing is pushed, close quote. Rickman also talked about the pressure faced by the film's directors, as well as what it was like to work with children who don't always know their lines. Quote, they, the day got off to a fabulous start with the screen guillotining my head uh, onto my head. He wrote on July 30th, 2003. A sudden, swift blackout, followed by a day-long melancholy. Alfonso, that's Kieran, the director, mm-hmm. was quietly ballistic with me. I love him too much to let it last to last too long, so I wailed offset and we sorted it out. He's under the usual HP pressure, and even he starts rehearsing cameras before actors and these kids need directing. They don't even know their lines, and Emma, Watson's dictation is this side of Albania at times. Plus, my so-called rehearsal is with a stand-in who is French, close quote. By Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, disaster struck. Rickman was soon forced to confront health issues, having been diagnosed with an aggressive form of prostate cancer in 2005. But despite his own personal struggles, he decided to stick with Harry Potter. Weeks after an operation to remove his prostate, he wrote, quote, Finally, finally, yes to HP5. The sensation is neither up nor down. The argument that wins is the one that says, see it through, it's your story, close quote. Thankfully, Rickman continued to see out the entire franchise, appearing as Professor Snape throughout the all throughout all eight main Harry Potter films. In 2007, he wrote about his character's ending, quote, I have finished reading the last Harry Potter book. He wrote on July 27, 2007. Snape dies heroically. Potter describes him to his children as one of the bravest men he ever knew and calls his son Albus Severus. This was the genuine rite of passage. One small piece of information from Joe Rowling seven years ago. Snape loved Lily, 
gave me a cliff edge to hang on to, close quote. Rickman died on July 14th, 2016, at the age of 69. I thought this was wild, just because it's been well documented over the years that the three kids, you know, uh, Rupert Grant, Daniel Radcliffe, and Emma Watson, were only signed on for, like, the first three movies. Yeah, something like that I remember hearing. And, and it was there was talk of recasting for the fourth movie, and what are they going to do? But then they, ta- they signed them on the contracts throughout the remainder of the franchise. I had never heard any issues with Alan Rickman backstage. I figured there was some stuff, because, hey, you're dealing with kids. Right. And it, and it was a kid-heavy cast, especially for those first two movies, you know, in, in 2001. So they would have been filming those in 2000, 2001, you know, or even maybe 1999. You know, so when you're dealing with, with kid-heavy cats, obviously there's going to be issues, but in anything to the level of he was ready to quit, I had no idea. You know, that's the one thing about Hollywood is you hear all these stories after the fact, and especially being involved in a franchise like that, there is a lot of pressure. And especially dealing with such a young cast, too. Like, there's a lot of combustible elements there yeah. that would make sense. So hearing that story, I mean, it's wild to think about now because could you imagine if he did leave? That'd be I. It would not be the same just because yeah. when I think, when I reread the books, I think of him. I hear his voice in my head as right. I'm reading the books. He's so, it's, it's kind of like how, you know, Nick Fury has become known as, as Sam Jackson in, mm-hmm. from the comics, you know when I think of Severus Snape in the books or anything, I think of Alan Rickman. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on that. That's why it's so wild to hear. Yeah. Uh, switching over to some Star Wars news, uh, it's been, been reported that James Earl Jones is stepping back from the role of Darth Vader. Uh, reading from an article on the BBC.com, it says, quote, James Earl Jones is the voice behind legendary Star Wars villain Darth Vader, but it seems the 91-year-old has finally hung up his helmet. In an interview with Vanity Fair, Star Wars sound supervising editor Matthew Wood said Jones was looking into winding down this character. Jones's voice was remastered from the original Star Wars films for recent Disney Plus series Obi-Wan Kenobi. Some of Jones' archival footage record- voice recordings were also used. For future Star Wars projects, Jones has reportedly granted permission to Disney and Lucasfilm to use artificial intelligence and archival recordings to recreate his voice. The actor is credited for his advice on the performance of Darth Vader on Obi-Wan Kenobi, with Wood describing him as, quote, a benevolent godfather, close quote. Jones' family told Wood how pleased they were with the finished product by Ukrainian-based voice cloning company Respeecher. Uh, so obviously you could kind of tell this coming down the road. I mean, you look at some of his stuff, you know, especially the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith and then the character's next appearance with Rogue One. Obviously, you could tell there were some differences. He's getting up there in age and he's not going to be around there forever. I mean, the man's 91 years old. Yeah. So the fact that they're able to keep this going. And I know there's a lot of folks out there who can do the voice, you know, almost as good. It's not James Earl Jones level of, of quality, but it's close. But the fact that you have the man himself signing up to, hey, you can use my archival footage and you can even use this other company to recreate my voice. And I'm OK with that. Hey, we can see the character continue for years to come. Yeah, no, I Absolutely. I think it's a smart thing to do. Obviously, you know, with his legacy, you want to have as much of his content of, of him as you can. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense to me. Uh, we had a little br- sneak preview at the upcoming Knives Out sequel, Glass Onion, from the Netflix Tudum event. Tudum. Uh, a little bit of brief clip. It was about two minutes, 45 seconds. Movie looks fun. Gotta say, it looks like more of the same antics from the uh, first movie. You know, people get together. There's a murder. They got to solve the murder. I am all sorts of on board for this movie. It cannot come out soon enough. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Like, Tadum really flew under the radar, so I completely forgot about this, but the trailer looks great. Yeah, it does. Like, I, uh, I'm completely invested in this and kind of seeing, like, all right, where are we going to go from here? 
Because you think it's got some pretty high, mm-hmm. you know, it's got a lot of a lot of expectations. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say you got so many expectations, you got to deliver on it. And obviously, I think this might have been like the crowning thing coming out of it. Because, like, in my opinion, like Tadum really just flew under the radar. No, but there were some there were some blips. Like but, in comparison, yeah. well, I think that now we're going back to live action yeah. cons, which is sounds so weird saying, but you know it is. I think that like you'll start seeing less of that, and maybe a live action to dumb next year. So, maybe. but either way, trailer look dope. Uh, next up, there's going to be another movie in the Cloverfield universe. Yes. Uh, this one coming from uh, director Babak Anvari with J.J. Abrams producing. Reading from an article on Variety.com, it says, quote, another chapter in the Cloverfield universe is coming. Wounds, Wounds director Babak Anvari has been tapped to helm the newest installment of the hit horror series. J.J. Abrams is producing from Bad Robot along with Hannah uh, Mangala and John Cohen. Uh, Brian Burke, Matt Reeves, Drew Goddard will executive produce. Joe Barton, who penned the 2017 cult horror hit The Ritual, is set to write the script. The next installment is currently in development at Paramount Pictures and will be the fourth chapter in the experimental sci-fi series. The first film, 2008's Cloverfield, was a found footage alien invasion movie that became a sleeper hit. The second chapter, 2016's 10 Cloverfield Lane, modified an existing script to fit within the Cloverfield universe and became a commercial and critical hit, anchored by strong performances from Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Goodman. Mm -hmm. The third installment, 2018's space thriller The Cloverfield Paradox, was widely panned but gained notoriety as Netflix announced the project during the Super Bowl, confirming that fans would be able to watch it immediately after the game. Abrams, who has produced all of the films in the series, spoke to Time when the first installment came out in 2008 about why he thought the found footage uh, was the proper medium for this creature feature. Quote, the, me- the movie is meant to be entertainment, to give people the sort of thrill I had as watching uh, as a kid watching monster movies, he said. I haven't seen anything that felt that way for many years. I felt like there has been, there has to be a way to do a monster movie that's updated and fresh. So we came up with the YouTubeification of things, the ubiquity of video cameras, cell phones with cameras. The age of self-documentation felt like a wonderful prism through which to look at the monster movie. Our take is what if it absolutely preposterous would happen? How terrifying would that be? The video camera we all have access to, there's a certain odd and eerie intimacy that goes along with those videos. Our take is a classic B-monster movie done in a way that makes it feel very real and relevant, allowing it to be simultaneously spectacular and incredibly intimate, close quote. I loved the first Cloverfield movie. Same. Love that movie. I saw a preview for it, and one of the brilliant, like I've said before, the viral marketing for that movie was genius. You can look up videos about it. Mm -hmm. But one of the brilliant things they did with the traditional marketing of this movie was they never showed what the hell was going on. Agreed. They showed that New York was getting attacked. You never saw what. It was done much in the found footage style way. And I remember kind of being on the fence, and I just saw a preview for it one night, and I looked at my brother, and I'm like, you want to go see this Cloverfield movie? Because I want to see what the hell is going on. Ended up loving the movie. I've loved every movie since. Even even uh, Cloverfield Paradox wasn't the best one, but I still enjoyed it to a certain degree. Paradox, I couldn't get down with. I just I I tried. Maybe I got to do a rewatch of it. I guess maybe it was just right after the Super Bowl. I was like trying to give it a shot. I it didn't click with me, but I love the first one. Mm-hmm. I think the first one is so good. John Goodman, the second one is, is wild, brilliant. Yeah, but he's absolutely crazy in this. But I love that. So now the fact we're going back to the well, I'm down. Absolutely, I'm down for this, man. Give it to me. Yeah, uh, and then switching over to some streaming news, it was announced by the folks over at Prime Video today that we finally got a release date for Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan Season 3. Oh, The show starring John Krasinski is going to launch on Wednesday, December 21st, exclusively on Prime Video uh, in more than 240 countries and territories worldwide. 
Uh, reading from an article on uh, Deadline.com says, quote, Season 3 of the action thriller series finds Jack Ryan, played by John Krasinski, on the run and in a race against time. Jack is wrongfully implicated in a larger conspiracy and suddenly finds himself a fugitive out in the cold. Now, wanted by both the CIA and inter and an international rogue faction that he has uncovered, Jack is forced underground, uh, crisscrossing Europe, trying to stay alive while preventing a mass, massive global conflict. In addition to Krasinski, also returning for the third season is Wendell Pierce as James Greer and Michael Kelly as Mike November. Joining uh, as new series regulars are Nina Haas as Alana Kovac and Betty Gabriel as Elizabeth Wright, uh, close quote. Uh, so super excited for this. If you have not seen the first two seasons on Prime Video, do yourself a favor and watch those first two seasons because they are some of the best television you will see today and get yourself caught up before season three. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that. I'll admit, I am behind on that show. So, so I, good. I, I got to do a rewatch of that. I'm like, I'm just, just trying to find time in the day to catch up with all these shows is becoming a challenge. Yeah. Uh, well, 2022 is not over, but 2023 already the year of the Witcher. Oh boy! Let's read from an article on Variety.com. Uh, says announced at the streamer at the streamers. This being Netflix uh, fan event Tadum on Saturday, the Witcher spinoff series, The Witcher Blood Origin, will debut on December 25th, and the series of and season three of the main Witcher show will follow in the summer of 2023. Uh, fan, Interesting. Yeah, fans last visited the Witcher universe nearly one year ago when season two of the Henry Cavill fantasy series dropped in December 2021. Since then, it spawned even more spinoffs. In addition to Blo the Blood Origin limited series, an anime feature is on the way, and a family-friendly Witcher series is in the works. Not much is known about The Witcher Season 3, but it will continue the story of Geralt of Rivia, played by Henry Cavill, Ciri, played by Freya Allen, and Yennefer, played by uh, Anya uh, Chol Choltara. Choltra. Joining the cast are Robbie Amell, uh, Menger Zhang, Hugh Skinner, and Christ uh, Christelle Elwin. Amel plays an elven fighter named Gallatin, who leads an army of guerrilla uh, Skotel fighters uh, fighting on behalf of Nilfgaard. Zhang is, as is uh, Milva, a human adopted by the dryads of the uh, Brokilian Forest, who is a fierce and talented huntress. Skinner plays Prince uh, Radovid, a royal playboy and the younger brother to King Vizimir, uh, played by Ed Birch. Elwyn is Mistle, a member of the Rats, who are a gang of misfit teenagers who steal from the rich and give to themselves. Uh, and then set in an elven world 1,200 years before the events of The Witcher, the prequel series Blood Origin will tell a story lost to time, including the creation of the first prototype Witcher and the events that lead to the pivotal conjunction of the spears when the worlds of monsters, men, and elves merged to become one. It stars Michelle Yeoh as Cian, <clears throat> excuse me, Cian, the last member of the nomadic tribe of sword elves on a mission to retrieve the, a blade stolen from her people. Uh, Sophia Brown as uh, Ayeli, a warrior of the Queen's Guard who leaves to become a traveling musician, and Lawrence uh, Ophirahan as Fial, a man, who, a man born into a clan of warriors sworn to protect a king who instead sets out to seek vengeance. Uh, the rest of the cast includes Mirren Mack as Merwin, Lenny Henry as Balor, Jacob Collins as Fredden, Lizzie Annis as Zakare, Hugh Novelli as Callan, uh, Brother Death, uh, Francesca Mills as Meldorf, Amy Murray as Frenric, Nathan uh, Curtis as Brian, uh, Zach uh, Wyatt as Sindel, Dylan Moran as uh, Uthruk One Nut, yes, that's the actual name, uh, and Aiden O'Callaghan as Carrick. 
Uh, so super excited for this. I love me some winter, and I can't wait for more. You know what's surprising about that is, I mean, that's a lot of stuff that's coming with it, but they're going to do an anime, yes, you said? They, yes, they are. This must be something with, and I'm just, this is me speculating. Sure. Berserker. The Keanu Reeves project. I mean, yeah. we know that's coming to Netflix. Yep. That's also rumored to have an anime spinoff with it. Sure. This is now having an anime spinoff. Sure. I'm wondering if that's becoming and like listen, that the more anime the better. I'm not complaining about that, but that's just kind of interesting that they're going to tie in with that. Yeah, well, it's not a surprise. I mean, CD CD Project Red, of course, did the video games for The Witcher. Uh, they all CD Project Red also did the video game for Cyberpunk 2077. Mm. And I also know that the thing was last week, last two weeks, they had the anime Edge Runners, I think is what it's called, drop on Netflix. So it seems to be Netflix is doing a lot of like video game tied in animes, which hey, I'm all for. It's a, good, know, it's a good medium to do it in. Oh no, absolutely, it's a good one. I'm just like I'm noticing, I'm just like wow, that's kind of interesting. That they're going to go ahead with that because those are two projects, The Witcher and Berserker. I was not expecting them to mm-hmm. with anime. So, but hey, I'm here for it. And then lastly, certainly not leastly, uh, a couple days ago, we got a trailer of te- uh, might have been the first one. I can't remember uh, for The Last of Us, the upcoming series uh, based on the video game of the same name from the folks over at Naughty Dog. Uh, you know, and it's coming out in 2023. No release date given, but it's a save who you can save. Uh, really not a whole lot given with this little mystery, little intrigue. If you know anything about the video game, you know what this is going to be about. Uh, I want to keep leave the surprising intrigue for once the show drops, but it is going to be a series you absolutely should watch when the time comes. Of course, it is starring Diego Luna as one of the main characters. Yes, Pedro Pascal is playing Joel. and oh, Yeah, that's right, Pedro Pascal, yeah. Yep, and Bella Ramsey's playing Elle. Like, this show has got a ton of hype behind mm-hmm. it. Or Ellie, I should say, for Bella. Uh, this show's got a ton of hype behind it. I have not personally played a lot of this game, mm-hmm. but I know the fandom is like... There's a couple moments that I, I know are going to rip folks' hearts out if they decide to do like a one, if they decide to do a one-to-one adaptation. Yep. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, like you said, I mean, the cast is... I was going to say, have the tissues ready. The cast is loaded up. Pedro Pascal's Joel. Yep. Bella Ramsey's Ellie. Gabriel Luna's playing Tommy. Uh-huh. And Nick Offerman's playing Bill. Yeah. So that's just to say a few names... But the trailer looks amazing. I mean, I'm definitely watching it when it comes out. So high hopes are coming for this show when it comes out on HBO Max. So definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, very quickly for comics, man, I, I feel like it's a broken record, but this is a good thing to say. It's a stacked lineup at the comic shops this week. Boom Studios hit with a triple threat that is just out of this world. Grim number five, Stephanie Phillips and Flavino. It might be the best new series of all of 2022, and that's saying something. It's in that conversation, if it's not the number one. Closes out on such a dope, dope book. Pat, I'm going to just show you the artwork here. Mm. Like, how insane is this all look? That looks a little nuts. It's nuts. It's crazy, but it works. And the first uh, story arc has now ended. It is one that definitely will have fans talking. Like I say, the book has got a ton of hype behind it, and rightfully so. And if you're not into it, I strongly recommend catching up because it is arguably one of the coolest books out there. From artwork to story, I think the creative team here is absolutely crushing it. So I can't recommend it enough. Then they also have House of Slaughter number nine, James Tynan, Sam Johns, Letizia Caldoni, and Francisco Cezelia, and Werther Delerta. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely just amazing stuff coming out of this. The house or the story of Edwin Slaughter. The Scarlet Mask uh, of the Order of St. George. Like, everything about this book is just, it's different. It's a little slow-paced, but the drama is there. The horror is there. If you like something that's killing the children, which is a fantastic read, this is up your alley. I recommend this highly. It's a different kind of read, though, but it's a definitely 
edgy vibe to it. That is something that if you've been reading House of Slaughter, you know the quality of work that comes out with this book each and every time. Lastly, from Boom Studios, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about this because we're doing a special ODPH edition tomorrow as we record. Mm. Tom Craven from Off the Cuff Gaming and that hashtag show is coming on. It is Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 100, Pat. Ah. So do you know why this issue is so significant? Uh, no. This is Ryan Parrott's last Power Rangers issue from the run he's had. And they're sending him out with a bang. Mm. I want to point this out. Moises Hidalgo, Marco Renna, and he has a all-star cast of creative on this for this monster book. And we got the email in just as we were recording, and I will just uh, read it straight from the uh, fine folks over at Boom Studios. Quote, due to our Boom Studios under the license of Hasbro, uh, is proud to announce today the historic milestone issue, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers number 100, has sold out at the distribution level day of release. Wow. Yes. That's wild. Quote, unquote, right from Boom Studios themselves. And rightfully so. Like, listen... We'll go into more a deep dive tomorrow or in the next episode when you listen to it. There's a reason why this issue has so much hype. There's a reason why this issue is one that if you're a Power Rangers fan, especially the comics, which we cover every time they come out in Parlay Points for a reason, they are some of the best comics out there. And Ryan's work that he's done with this series. And remember, they went from a split series. Mighty Morphin was his own brand. Power Rangers was another one. How they've kind of intertwined has been nothing short of spectacular, and how they all come together, it sends off his run on just a phenomenal ride. And like I said, for the past, I, I believe it's six years, I'm not looking at the exact. Wow. He has definitely put in that work, and we will get into a full-length discussion because you know Tom, if it's Power Rangers, we have to bring Tom on to talk about it. Of course. It. And Tom has got a lot to say. But I'm just going to show Pad this cover by Dan Mora who might be the best comics artist right now in the game. Jesus. Look how dope that cover is. That is a nice cover. So if you want to find out about that, definitely make sure to swing on over to your comic shops about that. Uh, last but certainly not least, The All-Nighter on Comixology Unlimited. Chip Zdarsky and Jason Lou's fantastic tale wraps up for now. Mm. It's the conclusion. Um, the issue is dope. The, issue, the whole series has been absolutely a fantastic read. I can't recommend it enough. The first volume is out on print via Dark Horse Comics, so you definitely want to go check that out at your local comic shops. I'm assuming this one is coming out right after, too. Uh, it ends on a very strong note. It's going to have a lot of fans talking if this is really it or not. I will say I don't know anything else that anybody else doesn't other than this was a completely cool read. The ending will hit you in all the emotions if you've been there since day one, and it's got something for everybody. Nice. So a lot of good stuff there, too. I mean, I'm not even getting into the Marvel and DC stuff, too. Uh, I guess I could throw one quickly for each one. I know Pat is a big Batman the Audio Adventures fan. Yes. Uh, did you happen to see that this book came out? Oh, no, I did not. Yeah, so Batman the Audio Adventures number one nice. is out. So I know if you are into that. And, Pat, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so that is basically an audio drama, kind of in the same vein of, like, the radio dramas back in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, set in the Batman universe, you got Jeffrey Wright playing uh, Bruce Wayne, Batman. Keenan Thompson is in it. Uh, what is it? Um, uh, what the heck is the guy's name? The guy who played uh, Data on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Brent Spiner. Thank you, Brent Spiner's in it. It's a it's a fantastic cast. Uh, but the uh, Penguin factors into it. 
Two faces in it. Catwoman's in it. Catwoman is in it. Joker's in it. And it's and it's basically it's 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 your Batman story. You know, antics ensue. He has to stop a major crime going on from the Joker. Uh, and it, it, it is something that you should high, I highly recommend you checking out. I know the first season is out on, uh, HBO max with the second season coming to HBO max soon. But if you don't want to sit down, you don't have time to sit down and watch it. The entire first season is available on most, if not every podcasting platform, which is how I was able to I binged it in an, in one weekend. It was that damn good. Highly, highly recommend you check it out because Marvel's got their stuff going on, which is kind of like a story, you know, audiobook kind of thing. Right. This one feels like an old school radio drama because it's got a narrator talking in the voice and kind of in between the action sequences and what's going on, you know, so it feels more old school, which I love. Yeah. So you definitely want to check out the comic then if you were into that audio series. Uh, Tim Drake, Robin, number one is coming out too. That caught my eye. Uh, so obviously they're going to be doing some big things there. And then on the Marvel side. Honestly, I was kind of torn between when I know that there's a lot of people talking about this Fortnite and Marvel Zero War mm. issue coming out. So definitely kind of interested in that one. But for me, I always go to the X-Men line and X-Men 15. Uh, so that is out on the shelves. So definitely, as we always say, support your LCS wherever you're at and always support your favorite independent comic podcast as well. For anything and everything that is the ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. That is all for us this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.